At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james, netsuite.com slash james, netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Is it because uh, Elon said he was going to accept Dogecoin? No, I'm talking to a bunch of people about it this morning that everyone got bearish. Like no one was expecting a rally, which at that point I was like, maybe the path of least resistance was up. And one of my friends was like, yeah, I'm in this like 100% crypto investing telegram group and no one's talked about crypto investing for days yeah there's been like a debate about religion (laughs) yeah i mean i think the capitulation point was essentially everyone sort of universally agreed that there's no actual use case for bitcoin and ethereum and all these coins and so and on top of that there's all these liquidations of you know hedge funds were liquidating and all this stuff so everybody sold there was no anybody still holding is a believer now. And there's right. probably just a flight to cash in general with the global market situation, not even But crypto. I think that's been going on for, for six months now. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, the liquidations were, it's actually kind of astonishing. Like the crypto lenders, there used to be five big ones with multi-billion dollar balance sheets. 
and three of them got wiped out in the span of a week. And what's his name? Sam Bankman-Fried yeah. said there's there's more coming, but maybe that already happened. He said that a few weeks ago. Or it's priced in. But right. th there is this funny thing that keeps happening where it's like some crypto lender I've never heard of. It's like, oh, they're suspending withdrawals because blah, blah, blah. By the way, suspending withdrawals is not a big deal. They lent the money out. They can't just like get the money back and... It's what we did. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> It's like a hedge fund yeah. can't return all the money every single day. Yeah. It's bad if your uh, depositor is expected if, you know, instant liquidity. It shows you fucked up somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. If, if that's the case, was there supposed to be instant liquidity? Yeah. Okay. Then, yeah. For Celsius, there was, but it, I'm not sure for like hedge, crypto hedge funds. No, not hedge. I mean, three arrows capital, that one, like multiple people will go to jail for that because it's like, it's one thing if you have a project like Terra, which was just an economic design that wasn't going to work, but the people behind it genuinely believed that it would. And they didn't lie about anything. It, it's also, it's another thing, even Celsius, like, yes, they, they invested too much money in too many illiquid stuff. But three hours capital was just fraudulent on like five different levels. Oh, I, I didn't know they were fraudulent. Like, what, oh, yeah. in what ways were they fraudulent? Uh, one, they said that they were only like a proprietary hedge fund that traded their own money. It's come out that they actually raised significant amounts of outside money. Mm. Two, they commingled funds. So they were managing money for some treasuries or something, protocol treasuries, mm -hmm. and they use those assets as collateral to take out their own loans, which is kind of like, if you remember what MF Global did when John Corzine blew it up, that they couldn't meet a margin call, so they started dipping into these supposedly segregated customer accounts. Uh, you know, by the way, which is fascinating, because John Corzine, okay, he was the CEO of Goldman Sachs. Like, you, you, don't, you can't get a higher pedigree. Like, right. Like CEO of Goldman Sachs people go on to be secretaries of treasury, uh, Federal Reserve chairman, whatever. Um, John Corzine, wasn't he uh, governor for a while also? I think he was governor and senator of New Jersey, wasn't he? Yeah, so Corzine was head of Goldman Sachs, governor of New Jersey, senator from New Jersey, had some scandal. MF Global, just a total scam like anybody else. <laughs> yeah. And it was both, I believe at the time, one of the if not the biggest futures brokerage firm. And I believe they had just gotten approved to become a primary dealer on treasury bonds, right? That's a privileged, difficult position to acquire. Yeah. But he had so much pedigree and so many connections, there was no way he, he would ask for anything and, and he, he was going to get it. Yeah. yeah. But, but this goes to the example, like we were talking about Uber earlier before the recording started. Like Uber's a scam and most people don't realize it. Just to summarize what we were talking about earlier, before they went public, the venture capitalists were paying for every single ride you took. They were subsidizing all the rides. That's how Uber could grow so fast and lose like a billion a year. And then the venture capitalists were like, okay, we can't fund this now. It's worth $70 billion in the latest round. We've all made our money. Let's just sell it to the idiots. So they went public and the public money is the dumb money essentially. And now the public can't subsidize Uber. Uber either has to charge more for rides, which they can't do, or pay drivers less, which they can't do, or go out of business, which is what will happen. Uber, Lyft, and there's other business models like this. So, so what 
isn't a scam. And Dan, well, you and I have well, had this conversation all the time. Like, what's not a scam? That's a good question. I mean, I mean, most who, cryptos are scams. Yeah, but who's who's taking the other side of Uber though? There's clearly analysts out there, and and okay, but we know and, the analyst business. Yeah, is a scam. Yeah, <laughs> so like the analysts, they make a price target of hundred dollars, and if it moves down, they change their price target to eighty, and if it goes down to sixty, they say, "Oh, look, we're a genius," and then they call all the hedge fund clients and they trade through us because we're such smart analysts. Uh, look, we said Uber was going to go below 80 when previously they said it was going to go up to 120. And it's all a scam. The, 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 well, the analysts don't know anything. And really the better question, I mean, you're really saying what VC-funded companies aren't scams, right? I mean, there's a lot of traditional companies that aren't, but there's so much money that... I mean, and Omen and I have talked about this also, and, and, and we have too, James, where um, not to bring up names, but Omid can speak to this, where he's had personal conversations with VCs that have so much money allocated to crypto investments that when you would bring up something like, hey, why don't you look at more traditional crypto investments or, or bigger names, whether it be Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, something, that's not why they're raising so much money. That's not why they're raising $20 billion and charging two and 20. So they're going to continue to recycle that money through every new crypto, either you know, startup or token or whatever, because the, the money is just going to continue to flow. Or they're raising money because they say they're a crypto VC fund and a sovereign wealth nations that can't buy Bitcoin, but want exposure to crypto invest in these VC funds. So they just maybe. come up with a message that raises the money. And I'm not saying crypto is a scam. I'm saying maybe 95% of it is a scam. There's some percent that's legit. But look, hedge funds we know are a scam, not because we ran one, but because you could look right now, hedge funds charge enormous fees. Like let's say a hedge fund has a billion dollars. They could make up to 60 million a year if they return 20% and get their 2% fees. The same mutual fund with a billion dollars would probably make, instead of 60 million, would make Five million, and, yeah. and and what's the difference? We look up the holdings. They all own Google, Facebook, Netflix, Exxon, yeah. Microsoft. They own the same stocks. I, I would just to add a little bit of uh, nuance to this. I think we should differentiate between scams and things that are disingenuous. So a scam to me is like an outright fraud. Yeah where someone's literally lying to you and probably doing something that is illegal. And even if not by the letter of the law, then certainly within the spirit of the law. Um, and, and there's no shortages of those out there. I think what's been interesting in recent years, even in crypto, uh, is that like you see a lot more of what I would consider disingenuous, or, or maybe that's not the right word, but the people who are backing the project or running the project or the company present a front of confidence that deep down inside they don't actually believe. So it doesn't mean they're stealing your money, but I think like, I don't see how anybody could be an executive at a company like Uber 10 years after it's failed to turn a profit, burning billions and billions of dollars. And, and I don't see how like in their private conversations, if you were good friends with them and you were like, hey, so and so, like, is Uber ever really going to make money? They have to have some doubt at this point. 
But then that's not what they can say on the earnings call because right. the stock would just completely collapse. You are correct in making that distinction. But at the same time, I would say it's pretty gray. I mean, if they know, <laughs> if they know, you know, ultimately that it's that it's not really viable long term. I agree. They're gonna they're gonna provide a united front. They're gonna they're gonna have what they deem as a, a reasonable business model. But deep down, they know investing $100 million at a $10 billion valuation is something that has no viable way of ever reaching that or... or See, the, and this is where it, it's a, it is a gray area. Is it a scam or is it disingenuous? Like the VCs who invested at a $10 billion valuation, they invested not because this is a great company, but because they knew they would be able to take it public Again, to, to sell it to the stupid money yeah. at a $50 billion yeah. valuation. To, to, to be fair, the VCs, that business model, at least for now, and has been, is very much intact. They know what they're doing. They know they're going to be able to push these to valuation. They know there's going to be money out there, and there's, there's going, to, going to be a way to sell this at a higher price to someone else. And even if they don't, they don't, they don't need to bat 800 They need to bat... 200, you know, I mean, we know that model, right? The, a ton of these will fail, but they know the Ubers and, and the big ones will take care of it. So that, that works. But, but this is, you know, we've talked about this a long time ago also about even the PE firms. We've always looked at those and said, wait a second, like they, they have no real edge. Who was the Yale uh, endowment guy that called him out? Um, oh yeah, David Swenson. Swenson. Yeah. So the most successful college money manager out there, he wrote a book about investing. And he basically said investing in private equity was like, you know, buying the S&P 500, but with leverage, like, you know, buying yeah. three or four times the S&P 500 by borrowing money. Because And with private equity firms, you'll never know how they do because it's private. But when the market does well, they'll have enormous gains because that's when they sell all their BS companies. Yeah. And when the market doesn't do well, you don't hear from them. Right. So you don't know how they're doing. You just, but, but Dan, tell your experience. You don't have to say the name of the firm, but like when you were working for a, a huge private equity firm, several hundred million yeah. dollars was huge back then in the nineties to tell your experience of like how they raise money. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. 
I wonder, did he really say that? Jay, did he really say that? Can you look that up? Regardless of who said it, that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner and want the best people on your team, the same applies. And listen, I've interviewed 1,500 people now and a lot of entrepreneurs. I can safely say the one thing consistent among all entrepreneurs and CEOs, the, the successful ones, is that it's all about the people you surround yourself. You, if you hire well, you're going to have a great business. And you know, thankfully, ZipRecruiter puts the hustle in your hiring. So you find qualified candidates fast. This is so important, and I, I want you to try it. You could try it as a potential employer or employee. You could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, if you're hiring, ZipRecruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I will tell you that I signed up on ZipRecruiter as a potential employee. You know, I just wanted to see how it works. And right away, it started matching me with really amazing potential employers. So give it a try at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. When I left you know, the investment bank where I was working and went to work for a uh, large private equity firm, as I was coming in, they were raising a new fund, which at the time was an enormous you know, number late 90s. And I remember opening up the pitch book and, and seeing the, the memorandum. The number one, the top, right at the top, their best performing portfolio company. They had the IRR right next to it. It was, it was just off, off the wall, right? It was a huge IRR, huge home run, huge home run. Led the way to them raising the fund. We raised the fund. We closed the new fund. I want to say the new fund was you know, close to a billion, maybe maybe a couple billion. And um, within months of us closing the new fund, that, that top, the best investment we made went bankrupt. Literally went bankrupt. And I remember the partners scrambling, what are we going to do? Like we, we literally sold everyone on our ability and our, on our return and, and the company went bankrupt. So, you know, again, was it, you know, disingenuous? I mean, was there a gray area? I mean, and, and that's, but, but soon after, no, no one cared. You know, they just started making new investments and and wrote that one down to zero and and you know that's when I kind of looked at it and I'm like this you know it's 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 the classic situation they raise money like you said they exit when everyone else exits and uh, then they just go quiet and here's where it's also a gray area you know you would think like with Madoff for instance as an extreme example you would think the people who invested in the Madoff fund were innocent victims but the reality is. You ask somebody who invested in a Madoff fund, why did you invest in the Madoff fund? They all thought he was doing something illegal. Yeah. They thought, but it was different than, they didn't think he was a Ponzi scheme. They thought he was he had some uh, front running yeah. his customers from the brokerage side of his firm. And so like he knew what they were investing in and he would buy first. So they were willing to participate in a scam that they knew was illegal. So were they complicit in some way? Of course they were. And, and so I'm just curious, like what business Forget about like finance even. Like what business just by itself is not a scam of some sort? 
I think so. The one thing with finance is there is this element of musical chairs that everybody is either implicitly or explicitly buying into, right? Like VC works. Maybe because the economy grows. Like there are inventions and innovations, and you know, every now and then there's a company that truly is great. Yeah. Um, but it, what we've been saying about PE and VC. Like it's true enough that a lot of what they do works so long as there is a uh, greater fool who's willing to pay a higher price for whatever they're investing in. And we've had multi-year, decade-plus cycles where that generally works. And when we all worked together, we used to talk about this, how we would make decisions sometimes where um, we felt like the long-term interest of our LPs would be represented by either doing or not doing something. However, there was an immediate short-term gain to be had, which our competitors were taking advantage of. And then they would turn around and be like, oh, you know, we've made X percent a month. And we would sit there and be like, well, that's not sustainable. That's going to end badly, et cetera, et cetera. But then when the music stopped, it ended badly for everybody. And I think... Well, well we, like we couldn't, we couldn't invest in John Paulson's fund, you know, right. which is the, he was the biggest winner shorting the housing situation and, the, and he made a lot of money in the financial crisis. We couldn't invest with him because he was losing money every month until uh, Lehman Brothers blew up and then he made an enormous amount of money, but we couldn't afford to lose a little bit of money every month. Right. Yeah. So going back to the question of what actually creates value, I, I think like one of the interesting things about the pandemic was it focused all of our attention on the things in the economy that actually really matter that we take for granted, like restaurants and supermarkets and truck drivers uh, and laundromats and on and on. So there is this fascinating interplay between those kinds of businesses. Like restaurants obviously create value, right? Like personally, I love going to restaurants. Um, And by and large, I feel like you get what you pay for. Um, but then there's this fascinating interaction between the financial world and these quote unquote real world businesses. And I still actually do not have a good mental model of what within finance you consider honest value contributing activity. Well, let me get, take it into a different area. Sports. Let's take basketball as an example. I'm not saying a basketball team slash company is a scam, but there's so much potentially bad behavior happening, like you know, drafting kids or paying kids in high school, or or you know, what do they do in basketball? And I'm just making I could pick any sport. It's all the sports, but that's that's another. Um, you know, I question it every day. I questioned it earlier today. I saw. Um, you know, this is just random, but but these teams, and you've seen that the salaries of basketball, football, baseball, never they just simply never stop. They go up every year at astronomical rates. And so you just have to ask yourself at some point, when when does that is there is that simply not a greater fool theory, but you know ESPN, ABC, you know all these networks, Amazon's now getting into it. Apple's getting into this game where, they're just overpaying for TV and broadcast rights, and so I guess the money's there. But it, but at some point, that that has to collapse also. And I know everyone says, you know, they said that five years ago, ten years ago, you know, just just franchise value, everything just continues to go up. And I just think 
who's, you know, but it's usually VC guys buying sports teams and paying these astronomical, you know, and so you, you wonder if that's, that's when it ends when, when that piece collapses. But, you know, you're talking not even star players, just role players are making hundreds of millions of dollars, you know? And so, and I just wonder because the, the kids don't watch it anymore. None of my kids, what? No, no kid, no kid has an intention yeah. span to watch a sporting event. I mean, they watch clips. You know, that, that's a good point, actually. Like, when we were younger, there was basically, you had no choices for entertainment. You yeah. either watch a sports game or you watch Laverne and Shirley or something yeah. like that. And uh, now there are so many choices. Like, I could, people spend hours on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram, on YouTube, and then there's all the streaming services. Who does watch a basketball game? Like, are there people watch, like, is there ratings, TV ratings for these basketball games sure. or baseball games or whatever? Playoffs and, you know, regionally, so maybe. There is, there is one thing that some live sports uh, has going for it, which is that with the media market becoming increasingly fragmented between Netflix, YouTube, TikTok, et cetera, uh, events like, say, the Super Bowl or the NBA playoffs are sort of like the last place for advertisers who want to reach yes. a mass market at once. So that I think there is value in you, that. Because you have to watch it in real time too. You, you, Which you, is you, special, right? Yes. Like I, I, there's a That's part the of me that actually likes that about sports, yes. that I'm watching it at the same exact time that all my friends and family are watching it. And it's not like, I don't know, some hot TV show where it's like, oh, I haven't watched it yet. I'm going to binge watch right. it when it's over. But the other thing about pro sports that I've always thought fascinating from an economic point of view is there are many things that pro sports gets away with that would be completely illegal in any other industry. Like what? Well, first of all, like most pro sports teams are government subsidized yes. monopolies. Yes. So not only do you have a local monopoly, right? Like the three of us couldn't just be like, we want to start our own basketball team and have it be in New York and be part of the National Basketball Association. The NBA legally can stop that in ways that no other industry could. Um, the whole labor market is completely manipulated and fixed. Right? Just think about the idea of a draft. Can yeah. you imagine if like any other industry colluded to say that, oh, there are college students graduating and we're going to take every programmer and then we're going to have a draft for software engineers and we're going to like pick them in order and they're not allowed to independently negotiate with anybody until we tell them which company they're going to work for. And a lot of their salaries are fixed because we determined that the starting salary for an engineer is X. Um, a, a lot of, I mean, baseball actually has a specific antitrust exemption yeah, in the US, yeah. which is also crazy. But all the other sports, like every time I go to a baseball game here in New York, and I'm like, city runs extra trains to get people there. They provide all these extra cops and stuff to provide security. Uh, a lot of times they're not paying taxes or like the government spend a billion dollars to help build their stadium. Almost no other industry enjoys those kinds of government protections. Yeah. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility 
that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, let's take another industry, the music industry. So do you mean to tell me that it's a coincidence that the top 50 or 100 musicians on the planet, as ranked by Billboard every week, happen to be also amazingly good looking? <laughs> like, <laughs> it just happens to be the case that these people who are like so amazing looking spent three quarters of their lives practicing the guitar and never thinking about their looks. It just was an afterthought for them. And they all became like nobody ugly practiced guitar <laughs> their whole lives. And, and then, by the way, then there's a there's one company in, I think it's Sweden. There it, it was a book about it called The Hit Factory that produces all the top 10 songs. Like, hey, they have a formula. They know exactly what gets, gets hits. Yeah. And, and then if your voice is bad, they auto-tune it so you sound perfect. <laughs> it's, mil it's Millie Vanilli. Exactly. Except, except that guy, one half of Millie Vanilli, was so ashamed. He, yeah, he killed of, himself. Uh, he killed himself. Yes. And now it's just an everyday thing. Like yes. every single band on the planet. Like for all I know, Paul McCartney lip syncs when he that's, performs. That's now. what's crazy about that industry is is Millie Vanilli. The the I can't remember Rob Pilatus. Maybe one of one of the halves of Millie and the the other um, killed himself. And and fast forward, not a lot. You know, beyond that and. No one even cares about lip syncing. They all do it. They they. It's not even yeah, shameful. Hundred percent. It's so. yeah. But that just means that that's what the market wants, right. right? I don't have a problem with anything that you said. Is because they're selling entertainment, and like there are probably a lot of unattractive, very talented musicians playing local bars and clubs, or they have a niche following of ten thousand fans or something. I agree. Like I'm. Uh, it's overstating it to say. They're a scam. Let's maybe another way of saying it is not everything is what they seem. Like when Billboard lists the top 100 uh, musicians, these aren't necessarily the best musicians. When uh, a, a bookstore or a New York Times bestseller list, we already know the New York Times bestseller list for books doesn't actually rank the top selling books. It's just someone's opinion about what the best books are. Like that, that was revealed in the past five or 10 years or whatever. I'm just trying to think of like what, what industry... It, we know with finance, it's all, you know, borderline illegal. What industry is actually like <laughs> legit? Like even, even law firms, do they, you know, I remember one time, well, well, this was pre OMID. Dan and I were starting a hedge fund and I took the old docs yeah. for our older hedge fund yeah. and just did a search and replace. It wasn't that hard to figure out. It was a 30 page document where I just switched one name to another and my lawyer found out about it, that I had done that. He called me up and he was yelling at me. This grown man was yelling at me, another grown man. He said, I never have seen anything like this in the industry. How could you do this? And, and I said, well, I bought the original documents from you for $30,000, like a 20-page like yeah. document. Why can't I do what I want with it? I own it. Yeah. 
And he had nothing, no response to that because that was like an implicit scam that they were running. Yeah. How about uh, pay-to-play podcasting, James? Which you are not, but uh, since I the new book came out, I, I hear from all these podcasts that are like, oh, we'd love for you to come on our show, blah, blah, blah. If you just pay us $1,000, we can book you for next week. I didn't even know that existed, but that's totally... Do they have to disclose that they that you they were paid? I don't think they do. I mean, someone actually literally, uh, some promoter sent me uh, like a menu of like, here are these podcasts and here's like how many downloads they get. And then here's what they charge to be on the show. After this episode, oh, James would like to talk to you offline about that. Yeah, <laughs> I charge I charge $75,000. Right, but only in uh, in Monero. That's right. Not, uh, That's not, right. Not, I've, I've had people offer to pay me yeah. to be on the podcast, but I've always, there's no need for it. Like I make money from ads and it's enough to pay for, for Jay, the audio engineer who, who gets paid in Malaysian, you know, shekels or whatever. So it, it's a, well, it's a throwback a, to the DJ business, right? Payola, isn't that what they yeah, called it? Yeah. Like that's what Which was me. illegal. Was it really? That's interesting. So I wonder. Oh, if- no, no, no. For DJs, it wasn't illegal. Sorry. But for radio shows, it was. For radio music shows, it was illegal. Oh. But isn't that why you've seen like a resurgence or, and we talk about this all the time when it relates to, I mean, another huge scam, obviously, James, we've, we've talked about this forever, colleges, right? And you're seeing more and more yeah. people kind of talk about that. But that's why you're seeing like a resurgence of, of people saying, look, there should be trade schools or you should go into HVAC, plumbing, electrician, because it's a real skill where you're providing something real that people need and they'll pay you for it in exchange. As opposed to traditional stuff, lawyer, finance, like we're talking that, that when, you know, when you run into a pandemic or something and it's not real or they can't push that same product, you, you basically are out of a job. You know, that when you see, whereas if there's a truly a recession, people still need, you know, if they have a plumbing issue, if their air conditioner goes out, if their roof's leaking, you know, that that's real. That's where there is value in exchange for something that, that, you know, and those are traditional, but we've kind of gone away from that, right? I mean, you never encourage your kids to become a plumber or an electrician, but you're seeing more and more people just because all these other industries have popped up and they just don't seem sustainable over time well i i challenge anyone listening to this even to what industry is not like other than those i agree with you dan so plumber electrician are largely not a scam sometimes there's issues where they say oh there's extensive you know sure we have to redo all the pipes and and then you have to kind of like get a second opinion and hope hope for the best sure. but i sort of feel like most industries Let's take psychiatry, you know, psycholog- psychologists, you know, or or psychiatry. It's all this med, you know, everybody's got medication now, and I'm not passing judgment on that, but it's just why is it the case that kids seemed healthy a hundred years ago, and now ninety percent of kids are on medication, or you know, everybody's got some diagnosis in the, you know, diagnostic and statistical manual of disorders. Just, I can't think of any industry really. Maybe. Um, yeah, what about what about teaching? Well, no, that's all related to the education thing. What about like a piano instructor? <laughs> Is that, well, that's well, probably that's not a like skip. any that's like any skill, whether it be piano, sports, anything. And that that's a huge industry now, right? With with kids, right? Parents all want their kids to be an excellent, you know, pianist or baseball player or basketball player. 
and parents nowadays are willing to overpay instructors to make their kids special, right? No, our parents never did that. My parents didn't do that. You just went outside and played and found the best kid in the neighborhood and challenged yourself. Now, parents overpay and this entire industry has popped up. Youth sports, youth, you know, um, instruments, youth, you know, chess clubs, right? And if some parent whose mom or dad is a VC, James, comes to you and says, hey, I'd love, you know, little Johnny or Mary to learn chess from you. You're not going to teach Johnny or Mary how to play chess in a week. You're going to stretch that out over three, four years. And the VC mom or dad is going to pay you well for four years, right? I mean, you're, so you're not really yeah. going to be honest there. You're going to say, this takes a long time. This takes a long time. And you're going to have 20 of those kids. And th there's entire industries that have popped up over this. So um, I don't know if that means it's a scam, right? Someone's just has a skill and they're, you know, I guess someone can always come in and undercut you there, but that's, you know, that, that's in anything. Well, you guys, thanks once again for coming on the podcast as always. Thank you. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba.